My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, thanks for reading that. Let's, let's pray first as we come before God. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. It is right. It is a joy to us, Lord, to be able to read it. It's a precious gift. Help us this morning. Help me to speak clearly. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might understand, learn, and grow by your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump straight in. James, uh, brother of Jesus, is writing this letter to Jewish Christians around 40 to 50 AD, and they're now scattered across the Roman Empire after persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and they're facing increasing opposition and hardship and poverty, and they're discouraged. And so in verse one, James calls, James calls them the 12 tribes. Why does, he, why does he call them that? He says, you're the 12 tribes. You may be scattered, but you're not disconnected. You're the people of God, kept by God's power. Joined to the past, you're the children of Abraham, children of faith. And joined to the future, you're the saints in heaven, the 12 tribes that make up the great multitude around the throne that we read about in Revelation chapter five. See, if you're a Christian, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not disconnected. No matter what your circumstances, you're not alone in a world naturally hostile to God. You're joined to the great family of believers through history on earth and in heaven. And you're being preserved by God's mighty power. And the church, the local church, is a manifestation of that. That's James's opening encouragement to them, those Jewish Christians suffering persecution, and us. And it's an encouragement I think that we need every day, isn't it? As we seek to live lives of faith in a culture that increasingly cancels Christians and its values. And James wants us to be wise in the way we live. And in his letter, James is asking the question, 
how is your Christian life? Is your Christian life authentic? He, he knows our struggles. He, he knows our temptations and tendencies to compromise. And right up front in those first 18 verses, as you saw last week, he raises one of the most challenging issues we face, the issues of trials and troubles and temptations and struggles. And he asks, how, and he's sort of saying, how do you respond to them? That's the question. And, and do they cause you to doubt God? Do they lead you to being double-minded with sort of one foot in the world? And James says something utterly countercultural there. He says, the authentic Christian considers it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because they mature your faith and they help you depend on God, the reality in which we live anyway. That's God's perspective on trials, says James. And if you're finding that difficult to accept, if you're finding that a struggle, then ask God, he says. Ask God and God will give you wisdom. He'll give it to you generously. And so now in our passage today, we're looking, James turns to another key to living your life of faith wisely and authentically. And he asks the question, are you listening? Are you listening to God's word? Now towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you remember Jesus having taught the people about the kingdom of God, chapter, Matthew chapter five to seven, about the kingdom of God, his coming to the kingdom, he says to the crowd, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, the beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish builder, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, the point, the point of hearing God's word is not simply to know it. The point of hearing God's word is to do it. So verse 22 in our passage there is a key verse then. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. See, hearing and understanding isn't enough, is it? You don't draw closer to God simply because you've heard a good sermon and understood something that the preacher has said. Hearing and understanding is really, really important, but not translating that into how we live is actually quite dangerous, isn't it? because it easily leads us to a, a sort of proud academic faith. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And John Calvin says this, he says, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. In other words, the gospel is something to be lived out. How do we live out the gospel? Well, by being wise to listening. And that's our theme this morning, being wise to listening. And it starts, of course, with paying attention to the word of God. See, it, it's possible to listen, but not to hear, isn't it? All sorts of things can derail good listening, as we saw this morning in a wonderful illustration of the kids. Distractions, tiredness, impatience, self-focus, 
Are you a good listener? Uh, my wife, I think, is the best listener in our family by, by a mile, and we joke about a family trait that we have called the Vartstra Vagout. And it goes like this, it's a unique ability to actually disappear in the middle of a conversation. As uh, someone's talking, we get distracted by something that we see or a thought that we chase down some sort of rabbit hole and we're no longer listening. It's, it's the Vartstra Vagout. I wonder if it's ever happened to you. Good listening is actually rare, don't you think? But it's important in relationships. And here James is focusing on listening to the word of God. Verse 18, he tells us that God chose to give us new birth through his word, through the word of truth. And if we're Christians, we've been born again, the spirit of God has planted this seed of faith into our lives, making us new creatures. And the issue James is addressing is this, if we're born again through the word of God, if we're new creatures, why aren't we more changed? Why is it such a struggle? Why aren't we more transformed? And James says later, uh, says the answer is the word of God. The same word that brought me new life when I was born again needs to keep coming into my life, he says. It's the agency that grows me and changes me and liberates me. And so he says in verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in me, in you. So in verses 19 and 20, we have a contrast, don't we, between listening and anger. It's an interesting contrast. Not all anger is bad, by the way. Uh, the anger at injustice, especially on behalf of someone else, is actually a, probably a good thing. But the anger James is talking about here is, is bad. It's anger that actually flares up and quickly lead, flares up quickly and leads to evil, becomes corrosive in our lives. Look at verse 19, look how James puts it. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now notice the opposite to anger is not self-control, it's humility. Humbly accept the word. Why? Because the cause of anger is pride. It's anger that flares up to defend your pride. And of course, pride never listens, does it? You might be listening to the words, but you're not really hearing them. You're not letting the word in so it can change you. You've forgotten who you are. See, the gospel tells us that we're all moral failures, yet deeply, deeply loved. The gospel tells us that we're all sinners, but for whom Christ died. And if that's true, there's no room for pride, is there? You've forgotten what a sinner you are. So James says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. See what he's saying? He's saying the word needs to be implanted and for that to happen, it needs to be accepted in humility. And when the word is implanted, it transforms us. We, we react differently to our circumstances. We give glory to God and we say to him, you worked in me. And so that's the problem. We listen but we don't really hear God's word 
We hear the sounds, we know the words, but it doesn't penetrate our minds and hearts. So how are, do we, are we to listen so that we hear? Look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, forgetting what they, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. The word looks, looks intently is the same word used to describe how the apostle Peter looked into the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Remember, he and John came running to the tomb, the stone rolled away, the tomb was empty, the grave clothes were lying there, and we're told that Peter looked intently into the tomb. You don't think uh, Peter looked into the tomb we sometimes, the way we sometimes look into the Bible and, and uh, we, we read the passage and we see, and he, he, does Peter say, look, uh, I, I see an empty tomb, but mm, what's next on my agenda? No, no, his mind is in overdrive. The tomb's empty. The grave clothes are lying there. What's going on? What does it mean? He's studying, interpreting, applying, thinking. <laughs> look, that's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do in the morning. I have to you know, rub the sleep out of my eye, get to get my Bible and pencil and notepad and look into the word. It's an effort, it's hard. But I have to find out what God has to say. And we have to listen until we hear. I wonder if, if, if you are sometimes like me and you battle with that. Are you working on it? Maybe you've stopped and looking intently and you need to start again. Well, I want to encourage you, and James wants to encourage you to start again, to read the word, to think about it and apply it. Because just as the word gives us life, it goes on giving us life. So what happens when I listen to it like that? Well, it sets me free. Notice in verse 25, James calls the word of God the perfect law that gives freedom. How can the law set me free? Isn't that a contradiction? See, our culture has defined freedom as the uh, absence of all restrictions. Freedom is doing whatever we like. But our hospitals and drug rehab centers tell us that this can't possibly be right. That sort of freedom only leads to slavery. Now, a positive definition of freedom is this. You are free when you're released to be whatever you were built for. You are free when you fully realize your true, true self and your nature. See, a fish is free in water, free to swim like lightning, free to dart here and there. It has vitality and strength in that sort of context. It's not free in the desert, it's not free on a mountain. They can't live there in a desert on a mountain. Now, freedom is not the absence of restriction. True freedom is not the absence of restriction. It's living with the restrictions that fit with who we are. And the Bible, of course, is the owner's manual for human being, beings. And there's real freedom uh, uh, in living within its instructions. And so, the Bible tells us to love God. It tells us to love our neighbor, not to commit adultery, not to be greedy, to forgive those who wrong us, and so on. Why? Because this is how God has made us. We are made in the image of God, faithful God, a holy God, a loving God, forgiving God. For example, we're meant to forgive just as God forgives. 
If you refuse to forgive as God forgives and you hold a grudge, you soon become bitter and you destroy yourself, don't you? Why? Because you're violating your nature. You're a fish out of water. The way to true liberty is to live by the word of God, the perfect law that gives freedom. And isn't it true? You know, when you uh, listen to the word carefully, you find for one thing that your perspective on life becomes clearer. You know where you've come from. You know who's in charge. You know where you're going. You know your life has meaning. And that perspective frees you to really live. So we need to pay attention in the first place to the word of God, to listen, hear, and humbly accept it into our lives. And secondly, James tells us it's not enough to listen. We need to put what we hear into practice. See, it's possible to listen to God's word and and not to do it, to enjoy a talk or a Bible study or a personal devotion, but then for it not to change you, not to do anything with it. Now, I find that pretty encouraging, the fact that James raises this, because it means that I'm not the only Christian that's ever had the problem that James is addressing here. I think if we're honest, we all have to admit we're prone to doing this time and time again. James tells us if that's what we're like, we're actually deceiving ourselves. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, it's a pretty straightforward illustration, isn't it? You get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're unshaven and uh, unkempt and crusty and your face is so familiar but makes no impression, you don't notice it. Does it get the point? It's ludicrous to look into the mirror and do nothing. You look into the mirror so that you can do something about your appearance. That's a very simple illustration. And it's even more ludicrous, says James, to look into the word of God, which is like a mirror, and then go away and do nothing about it. James is asking, what are you doing with what you hear? Are we putting it into practice? What happens when we do put it into practice? Verse 25, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a promise, there's a wonderful promise. As you intentionally do what God's word says, you'll be blessed, you'll find happiness. Notice the blessing doesn't come in the hearing, but in the doing. Some people say, you know, I was was really blessed by that sermon. But James is telling us we're not blessed until what we've heard is translated into new thinking, new attitudes, new action in some sort of change in your life. The way to blessing and a happy life is to live by the word of God. And if you live by the word of God, you will be blessed in your life, blessed in your family, blessed in your work, blessed in what you do. The blessing doesn't come after, but the blessing comes in the doing, in having a go. Now, I know that in our pressured culture where you're always called to achieve and get ahead, this sounds like just another pressure, another burden, another thing to do. And for many of us, it actually can easily become just another area in which we fail miserably and we feel depressed about. 
But don't you see the gospel doesn't actually work like that at all. It's the word of truth that saves you, not your performance or your achievements. In, a, in the world's religions, you are, you know, in popular culture, it's do, 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 do in order to be accepted. But the gospel says, in the words of the old hymn, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. The gospel says that you are fully accepted by Christ and in Christ. And it's out of gratitude and thankfulness to him that we do, that we have a go. And the difference is huge. And, you know, we constantly forget it. We learn the gospel in some sense. And then we feel we have to prove that we're committed to gospel by doing things, by doing, 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 until we finally lose sight of the gospel. But it's the word of truth, the gospel that saves you. How? As you come back to it again and again and again in your defeats and discouragements and trials and temptations. And just when we feel a failure again, because we're blowing up under the pressure one more time. Listen, don't just hear the gospel, do it. Put the gospel into practice. It's the word of truth that saves you, not your doing. It saves you from the endless cycle of failure and depression and conformity to the world. It saves you and transforms you. See, the gospel doesn't just tip you into the kingdom and then it's up to counseling techniques and psychologists and so on to help us grow, helpful as they may be. No, the gospel transforms you it saves you, the gospel rightly understood and applied and adopted into life, into your life. What does it do? It takes you back to the cross time and time and time again. And it says, so that you say, I am fully accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted not by what I've achieved, but because Christ died for sinners of which I'm the chief. So that all your desire to do what is right, and that's good, is born out of gratitude and thankfulness rather than the world's constant pressure to perform. Such an important principle. And so Christians, because of the cross, learn to be grateful people, learn to be trusting people, learn to be humbled people, and, and yes, broken people, and forgiven people, and as a result, free people, free to have a go, joyfully putting the word into practice and being blessed in what they do. So. What does the authentic Christian look like as we seek to hear and obey the word of God? Look at the last two verses, 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves, themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted polluted by the world. Three things James mentions here. Pretty clear, aren't they? Three things to see if we're wise to listening to God's word. Firstly, is there restraint? Speaking carefully, controlling your tongue. James says, if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is false, it's worthless. Actually, James has a great deal to say in the coming weeks. You'll uh, hear about that in chapter 3 particularly. He calls the tongue uh, a fire that can't be tamed. And you know it's true. There's the foul mouth, the backbiting tongue, the angry tongue, unstoppable tongue, the tongue that says I'm a victim, 
the savage tongue, the lying tongue, the manipulative tongue, the exaggerating tongue. I, I guess we all qualify for at least one of those, don't we? Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. In other words, the t your tongue is a spiritual barometer of your heart. And the point is, if you can't control your tongue, if there's no restraint in that area, how is the word of God having an impact on you? You're deceiving yourself. So the authentic Christian will use words instead to encourage and build up speaking the truth in love. That's how the word transforms the Christian. Secondly, James says the authentic Christian shows care and compassion to those in need, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The God of the Bible is called, of course, the God of the, the fatherless and the widow. He cares and so should we. No amount of church attendance will absolve you from that. It's not an option for the Christian. The world is full of needy people and we've been given so much. Are you helping people in need? Is the word of God shaping your life in this way? It's a sign that you're listening to the word of God. And thirdly, James says the authentic Christian is someone who listens to God's word and strives to be godly. John Blanchard, in his book, highlights the pressures we face as Christians. He says this, let a Christian think carefully about the common practices of society today. It's immorality, it's dishonesty, it's greed, it's violence, it's envy, it's arrogance, it's blasphemy, it's cruelty, it's materialism, it's obsession with pleasure, and above all, it's careless or calculated rejection of God. Can we seriously imagine that we can walk in that kind of atmosphere, breathe in that kind of air every day and not be affected by it? Are you keeping yourself pure? Do you reject the anti-Christian values of our day? Actually, it's great that uh, some of the values of our culture today are really, on, especially in the area of compassion and care, are some things that we ought to celebrate. But some others are really anti-Christian. Are you resisting the temptation to be worldly? So easy to become polluted, isn't it? Remember Abraham's nephew Lot? He saw those lovely green valleys to the west of the Jordan and he wanted them. And so he pitched his tent near Sodom. And then he moved into Sodom. And then before long, Sodom had moved into his family. What happened? He lost his wife and his sons to the world and he himself escaped God's judgment by the skin of his teeth. Watch out for worldliness. It's subtle, it drags us away from God. It's different for different people, isn't it? Could be greed and envy, like Lot. Could be lust or pornography. Could be dishonesty at work, whatever it is. If the word of God is at work in your life, you'll be fighting and resisting these things because Christ died for them. You know, these two things, practical helpfulness and personal holiness, they have to come together, don't they, in the Christian life. Some, some Christians are clean, but they're not kind. They're sort of moralistic Christians who give lip service to caring for the poor. But they've forgotten that God is full of compassion and loved us when we were poor, broken sinners ourselves. How can we not love in the same way? And other Christians are kind, they're gracious and loving, but they're not clean. And that's a great tendency for us today, isn't it? 
to be kind but not clean. We live in a world that teaches tolerance. We tend to be soft on sin in our lives. And then we're a poor witness to the beauty of God's holiness. And we think as long as I help the poor and as long as we practice grace, God will be happy with our faith. No, says James, both helping the poor and keeping oneself pure are signs of a life being shaped by the word of God. We need to be kind, we also need to be clean. Personal purity, social responsibility come together in the authentic Christian. Well, let me finish. Be wise to listening to God's word. Hear what it says. Humbly accept it. Take it in, put it into practice. You know, King David in Psalm 19 uh, says this uh, about the word of God. It, It makes wise the simple. It revives the soul. It gives joy to the heart, light to the eyes. It's sweeter than honey, more precious than gold, he says. And James calls it, of course, the perfect law. The book, the word of God is precious. It's treasure. It's God speaking to us. It tells us about Jesus, the Savior. It tells us how we can be saved and how we can live truly free lives. God didn't give us his word to overwhelm us with some great to-do list so you can feel guilty about not reading it. No, he wants to bless you through his word. He wants to reward you through his word. He wants to fill you with joy and light through his word. He wants to make you wise through his word. He wants to revive your soul through his word. Listen to God's word, humbly accept it, put it into practice, it can save you. That's living the authentic Christian life, isn't it? It's living by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's like being the wise man in Jesus' parable who built his house on the rock, living by the word. It's the way to a truly blessed life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word. It's a word that tells us about our precious saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we confess this morning for the times we've not listened to your word and for the times we've failed to do what it says. Forgive us. Thank you that in Christ and because of his cross in repentance and faith, we can dust ourselves off and begin again and again. And so, Father, we pray for wisdom, wisdom to hear and understand your word and to apply it to our lives, rejoicing in the Lord always, loving as Christ loved us, living holy lives even as he is holy. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.